Welcome back to the Path of Longevity show, and I'm your host, Dr. Robert Lufkin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Stephen Sidoroff. Before we begin, I want to take a moment to tell you about some new free online masterclasses that Steve and I are offering. For example, we know that inflammation drives all chronic diseases and aging. That's why it's called inflammaging. But we're now learning that this inflammaging can be reversed. And one of our masterclasses will spell out the top four ways to reverse it. If you're interested, see the link in the show notes. And now back to this week's episode. Today, we get to explore the fascinating area of parabiosis, transfusions, and how these deal with longevity. And we're fortunate to have a world expert on the area, Dr. Arena Convoy. Hi, Arena. Welcome. Hello. Hello, everybody. Could you tell us how you came to be so interested in this area and a little bit more about your background? Uh, so um, I received my PhD from Stanford, where I was in the immunology program. But since my early years, my childhood, I was interested in aging when I noticed how my grandma looks so different from me and how I am growing and getting taller and at some point will be as old as my grandparents. So my interest really spans my, my entire life, not just my adult life. But my education uh, at Stanford and then Stanford Medical School was focused on understanding immune responses and then understanding what happens to our stem cells as we grow older. Why is that when we are young, we can repair our tissues and organs. And when we grow older, there is lots of pain, but no gain. Mm. So I hope that answers kind of your introductory question. Yes, yes. One thing we ask all our all our guests on the program is before we before we get into the details, we always ask, what is your overall view of longevity and aging? Why do we age? What is the overall mechanism there, do you think? Well, in my opinion, we know what the mechanism is. We age because we eat and we breathe. So it is really the oxidative phosphorylation and necessity to make ATP and then addition of reactive oxygen species that is inherent in that process that makes us older. So we cannot evolve out of aging in that way. It is really the fundamental processes of our biology that make us old, which is called antagonistic pleiotropy. Mm-hmm. And, and well, before we get into that, so the aging is due to uh, reactive oxygen species that, that drive the aging process. Is that what you're saying? Um, Not just ROS, it's just pretty much everything, right? So we have to eat, so we have, and we have to breathe and we have to make ATP. And those fundamental processes in our cells are the ones which then damage our cells. I see. So they allow us to live, but they also damage us. So which is called antagonistic pleiotropy. What what you need to live also kills you in the end. Ah, so, so, you know, so we know that quite well, yeah, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anti- antagonistic pleiotropy. Uh, could you explain that again, uh, exactly what that is? We haven't heard that before yet in our ah, program. I see. Uh, so antagonistic pleiotropy 
means that the same things that are vital for you, for example, during embryonic development or simply throughout life or for ATP production, exactly the same processes are also deleterious for you. So there is an antagonism. And whenever there is antagonistic pleiotropy, it's very difficult to impossible to evolve out of that mechanism because it's vital. So by the same function, by the same token, it is probably impossible for us to figure out what gene we have to turn off or on to become younger. There will be no such gene. What cells do we have to kill or add to become younger? What blood factor we can add or remove to become younger? Because there is no cell or gene or, or protein that evolved to make us old or sick. They all evolved for good things. And so then with aging, they become, de- uh, they become disbalanced. Mm. So they are still there, but the levels are too high or too low or too noisy. So, so it's I'll, sort of, <laughs> right. yeah, that makes sense. So it's sort of, if I can recapitulate, it's sort of that the the normal things that are that we've evolved to be valuable in 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 youth and help us grow up. When we get old, those same mechanisms, those same genes, actually cause us to be old. Exactly, precipitate our demise. It's the same process, the same cells, the same mechanisms. But they are just disbalanced. So it is mm-hmm. lack of balance. It is not anything special. It is yeah. the overall overall disarray or disbalance. Yeah. And let's let's now turn to parabiosis. You're you're uh, an expert in that field. Could you tell us a little bit about what it is and 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 some of the initial experiments you did on that? I don't think I'm an expert in the field of parabiosis because that procedure was in practice for over almost 200 years or more, yeah. right? <laughs> but uh, but Dr. Mike Conboy and myself applied it uh, to the modern understanding of tissue aging and rejuvenation back in early 2000s. And so our idea was to test if aging is set in stone or is it malleable and plastic can we move it backwards and not just allow it to go forward so when we connected young and old mice through the large flaps of their skin we also connected not just the blood circulation but allowed old animals to benefit from young gi tract young heart and lungs also old animals now had to exercise because they were running around attached to the young partner so many events were in place, and the goal of these experiments was not to test if young blood could be a medicine. There are many, many factors, but the goal was to see if old animals with their shortened telomeres and damaged DNA and so forth could be rapidly and robustly rejuvenated just after a few weeks. And so that's what we found. When we looked at muscle, liver, and in the same studies, we also studied the brain. So back in the early 2000s, we found that old animals become functionally and histologically and molecularly younger just after a few weeks of being physically sutured, surgically joined with young animals. And in the same studies, we also discovered that young animals actually become older. 
So being connected to an old body for four to five weeks is deleterious very, very quickly before there is any accumulation of DNA damage, attrition of telomeres, reactive oxygen species damage, mitochondria, not, none of that happens. So that suggested that aging is plastic and it could go backwards, not just forward. And it is a regulated process. So the question was, can we understand the regulation and then adjust the process to our advantage? Mm. So to to uh, to review that, basically, you the experiment was you took two animals, a young animal and an old animal, and you sutured their blood blood uh, streams together. Essentially, no, no, their... we did not suture their bloodstream together. This is not parabiosis. Oh, okay. But what is sutured is the large flaps of their skin. Okay. So then sometime after that procedure, approximately one week later, capillary grows through the skin and the blood becomes shared. Okay. But additional things also become shared. For example, nutrition, normal metabolism of glucose, oxygenation of blood. All of the cells go from young animal to old animal, immune cells, right? Erythrocytes. Yes. And all the animals, because they are sutured to young, have to run around and exercise. And they have environmental enrichment, so their brains might become better. So it is not, it is, uh, you know, not at all just suturing their bloodstream. Okay, yeah. So they the animals were sutured together, their skin, their their tissue was sutured mm -hmm. together, but not the blood vessels. But eventually the capillaries joined so that mm -hmm. they eventually shared blood vessels, but they also exactly. shared activity, nutrition, so many other things. There's so many variables in that. Exactly. So how did you begin teasing apart what were the important factors and what were less important? Yes. Yeah, so to do that, we developed a cleaner experimental system, which is the small animal blood exchange, where animals are not sutured together. When we actually perform only blood exchange between young and old mice, in about half an hour procedure, and it is done by the computer-operated peristaltic pump, so we can control the percent of exchange, the rate of exchange. We know the onset of effects because animals are not connected to each other. And so it is very similar to the procedure of human blood exchange, but it is miniaturized to mice, so we can test the effects on the brain, formation of new neurons, effects on the neuronal plasticity and synapses, cognition, many, many effects could be interrogated in experimental animals in this way. Oh, so, so you eliminated the, the confounding effects of ex being bound together, so the shared exercise, the shared nutrition, and you limit it just, just, just to the blood. Just to and the blood. what did you find? And so what we found is that the results are different from suturing mice together, and particularly that old blood dominates over young. So when animals are not sutured and don't run around for four weeks, and there is no like normalized blood pressure and oxygenation and nutrition, then what happens is that young animals become very decrepit and old rapidly after being exchanged with old blood once, one single time. So they're exchanged with old blood once at 50%. And obviously there was no time to accumulate 
aging or damage or all of these other attributes that people are talking about. This very young mouse. But they become much older, particularly in their cognition and neuroinflammation and decline in neurogenesis. Much, much older, very rapidly. And old animals do not benefit at all for their brain after exchange with young blood ones. They benefit somewhat in the muscle and in the liver, but not in the brain. So that's what we discovered from this well-controlled clean experiment, that young blood cannot outcompete old blood with respect to the brain. Wow. And then more, uh, and then more recently, we published work with Judy Campisi lab and her former postdoc, who is now a professor in Korea, Okijion, which showed that senescence can be induced in young animals after one single exchange with old blood. So we think about senescent cells as something that happened after many years, after accumulation of damage. But here we started with very young mice that are equivalent to 20-year-old people and exchanged them to 50% of old blood once using our approach. And then we looked at them, at their tissues, molecules, behavior, and they became senescent. They had S-beta-gal-positive cells. Senescence was confirmed by many molecular parameters. And their kidney and liver and muscle became older as well as their performance declined. Wow, so many, so many questions. I wonder, does that mean that we should... Uh... Uh, when we give blood transfusions at the hospital, we should note the age of the donor so we <laughs> don't have a mismatch there. Well, I don't think that uh, for blood transfusion in the hospital, that is the main the main sure. um, trouble, course. right? Because because people just get red blood cells or plasma and donors are typically young. But what we should consider is that many of our concepts and paradigms need restructuring. That Aging, even senescence, is not something that is caused just by damage. Mm -hmm. If you buy, you know, if you buy a new pair of shoes and then wear them, it is quite clear that they will linearly get older, right, and damaged. But the same cannot be said about regenerating systems like mammals, like us and mice, because we can induce phenotypes of aging in completely young animals before there is any chronological time to accumulate damage. So these experiments really tell us about the directions of research. So if we can identify those factors in old blood and then diminish them, perhaps we can rejuvenate people who are already old. That is the main outcomes of, of our body of work. How yes. can we start with somebody who is old, who is 75 years old, and then make that person not grow older, but start gradually getting younger. That is what Canbo Laboratory is pursuing. That's so exciting. It, it calls into question the whole idea of aging being just a function of wear and tear over time. <laughs> exactly. So, so now we're at the place where you, you're transfusing blood, you're no longer suturing the animals together. And that raises, as you say, a whole bunch of new questions. So what was the next step you did to, to further differentiate or further determine what was it about the, the old blood that made the young mice old? And, and what did you learn from then on? So because we have this small animal blood exchange procedure and device, we can ask, 
many, many more questions that could be asked with parabiosis. For example, we don't have to exchange young or old animal with each other blood. We can exchange them with any designer fluid. In the procedure, which is akin to plasmapheresis, for example, some patients undergo plasmapheresis where we need to remove autoreactive antibodies or toxins where their plasma is being thrown out and replaced with physiological fluids such as saline and, uh, and albumin. So we could do exactly the same procedure in animals, but analyze the effects on, on tissue rejuvenation, on muscle, liver, and brain, which is our typical organs that we study. Just to clarify for the for our audience, if I could, um, whole blood contains plasma plus the, the red blood cells and clotting factors. Plasmapheresis mm-hmm. is a technique where um, the... Uh, w- where you take plasma, where the red blood cells have already been removed, but the plasma, you can, with plasmapheresis, selectively remove certain of the molecular protein components in the fluid in varying amounts. And that's what you began doing to try and tease out exactly what it was in the plasma that was uh, creating these these wonderful effects. And Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Robert. Very, very good clarification. So yes, so what happens is that we remove 50% of blood plasma, the liquid part of the blood from animals, from old mice, and we replace it with physiologic solution, which is salty water, saline, and albumin. Albumin, we are not adding extra. We're simply restoring the albumin, which is in our plasma. And so when we throw out the old plasma, we throw out the albumin, so we have to add it back. And then all of the blood cells, red blood cells, platelets, and leukocyte, white blood cells are returned back to the same animal. So we do not change the age of the cells that circulate in blood. We are simply diluting by 50% all of the proteins which circulate in the blood. That's all is done physically. And what we discovered is that that procedure is more rejuvenative than any other approaches that were published, including parabiosis, or young blood fractions, or senolytics, or any designer-specific molecule. That procedure alone of diluting aged serum proteins make old mice statistically the same as young when we measure their neurogenesis, formation of new neurons in hippocampus, uh, the area of the brain which is responsible for memory and learning and also reduces liver fibrosis and adiposity and also improves muscle repair without fibrosis. And it also restores the the positive adaptive immunity and reduces the number of circulating senescent cells and the number of DNA damage cells in pilot human studies that we published more recently. So I mentioned that this procedure that we miniaturized in animals is analogous to human procedure that is already FDA approved. So with, in a collaboration with Dr. Dobry Kiprov, who has his private uh, clinic in Novato, uh, we, we did, uh, we performed pilot studies with humans where we decided to see if therapeutic plasmapheresis is rejuvenative. And what we published most recently in November of this year, sorry, not in November of this year, just a couple of months ago, 
Um, I think it was end of December, I can tell you specifically, or you can look it up. So what we published recently is that um, when we analyzed the proteome of people who performed rounds of this procedure, we noticed that there was significant rejuvenation of numerous circulatory proteins. And these proteins were rejuvenated not just after they're diluted, but stably several weeks and several months after the procedure. And furthermore, um, there was improvement in the composition of myeloid versus lymphoid circulating cells, also several months after the procedure, which is extremely important, particularly in the situation of global pandemics and knowing that with aging, people usually lose adaptive immunity. And then uh, there is excess of inflammatory circulating cells. Well, this is... Go ahead. So so this kind of were the outcomes where we show that there is evolutionary conservation in what drives aging and what drives rejuvenation. In mice as well as in people, it seems that the aging is not driven by decline in young factors. It is driven by the excess of old factors in our blood plasma. And rejuvenation is identically driven by diluting these old plasma factors. It's so exciting, uh, the possibility of using this in humans if you're already doing, because the, the, the techniques you've mentioned, the, the blood, the, the blood removal, plasmapheresis replacement with albumin and, and all, these are all accepted safe medical procedures that have been around for a long time. So, um, what, what have you seen in these patients? What specific things have you seen in these patients? Have you measured any biological clocks like some of the DNA methylation clocks or what other phenotypes of aging have you measured uh, that would show that there's a positive effect with this transfusion technique? I thank you for asking. So we have developed our own direct measurement of biological age, which is based on the biological noise. I don't know if your audience is familiar with that, but um, there was there is a phenomena of biological noise increase with age, such as that if you measure level of any particular marker or protein, even interleukin six, then the levels will vary in human population, and we cannot really predict based on the level of that protein if person is young or old. But if you measure the variation in interleukin-6. Young people will have very, very small variation, and old people will have huge variation or noise in that protein. And so that was known for a while, but we managed to apply this general knowledge to a new measurement of biological age, where we identified specific 10 protein biomarkers or detectors of biological age based on how noisy they become when we compare young people to old people. So we published that particular measurement of biological age. And the same um, the same <clears throat> measure of biological age then demonstrates that if people have a disease, for example, mild cognitive impairment, their age becomes higher based on our, I, I wouldn't call it clock, I don't think it is a clock, uh, and I will tell you why. But I don't know. Let, let's let's call it just a measure, measure of biological age. And then when people undergo rounds of therapeutic plasmapheresis, for every single participant, biological age was decreased. And that is direct measurement 
it is not a prediction based on artificial intelligence. We are actually measuring person's age. Similarly to how you would measure their weight if you had scales and you know that the weight could be measured on scales. And, and so, before um, you... Go yes. ahead, I'm sorry. So, so, that, uh, so that is also published in the same paper which um, collaborates with Dr. Kiprov and also Professor Joel Kramer, who is the director of UCSF Brain Aging Center. So that is a big collaborative work that came out recently. That work demonstrated that humans' biological age can be measured and then it is decreasing after rounds of plasmapheresis. And I have many, many, you know, um, caveats I would like to discuss about just idea of linear progression of biological age, idea that DNA methylation clocks measure biological age when they actually predict, not measure age. And what they predict is chronological age. It's not biological age. They are trained on your chronological age as the input. And they give you back your chronological age. And most importantly, even for any measurement, including for our measurement, which is measurement of biological age, we only can tell you what is biological age of your peripheral blood cells, PBMCs. It doesn't mean that the whole you is of that age. None right. of our, none of our analysis tell you what the entire person biological age is. In fact, if I had to guess, my guess would be that it is those clinically applicable analysis like cholesterol level, blood pressure, body mass index, um, EKG, things which, which physicians do will measure biological age the best. Before you mentioned one other factor of brain size, was that just in the hippocampus mainly that you saw improvements in brain size or was that overall brain? It is not brain size. It is specifically activity of few clusters of brain uh, stem cells, brain precursor or neuro neural precursor cells, which can divide even once when we are old and certainly when we are adults and when we are old. And then they can differentiate and form new neurons. So when we're learning how to do skiing or new language or a song or we try to write poetry, some areas in our brain and hippocampus are making new neurons. And those neurons are integrating into the circuitry. At least that's one of the hypotheses. So one might not necessarily see that your heart is bigger. But in animals, we can section the brain and we can look at those cells and see how they behave before versus after dilution of old plasma. Perhaps through B BDNF or some other factors that we've talked about before on the program. Oh, yes. And absolutely. So thank you again for mentioning this part. How does it work, right? So what we believe is going on is that when we age, we have two many proteins of a particular kind. They not only damage us themselves, but they inhibit the positive factors and genes from being present, such as BDNF or many other MAP kinase signaling pathway determinants, basically positive factors. So, um, so what happens when you dilute H-elevated inhibitors, you start recovering your useful gene expression because these genes did not disappear from your genome. They are still in your blueprints. 
they simply cannot be expressed and made into proteins. And then once the H-elevated inhibitors are dropped down by physical dilution, then person recovers the, all of the useful proteome that people try to figure out what are those proteins and how can we add them back. In theory, they are added back naturally because the H-elevated inhibitors are dropped down. Yeah, it, it, this this mechanism you describe is fascinating that the old blood has negative factors and getting rid of those actually improves longevity. So, several people have advocated uh, donating blood on a regular basis as a longevity thing that people live longer who donate blood. Would that would that work through this mechanism, at least partially? It's not as good as the full thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm absolutely fascinated. I receive numerous emails daily asking if if donation of plasma, not blood, but plasma, right, mm-hmm. will be rejuvenative. And I'm looking forward to conducting the studies. My gut feeling that it will be somewhat positive, and I would love to know what would be the suggested intervals and uh, and what would be the positive, what would be the outcome? I think it should be absolutely studied. If, if it could be applied to improving human health. And again, we are not, uh, we are not talking about living forever. We are talking about being healthier for many more decades. We, uh, and plasma donation would be milder. It, they really, um, are not as invasive as, as therapeutic plasmapheresis. And, and what are the dangers of this technique that you're describing? In other words, are there certain people that shouldn't take it, like history of cancer, history of heart disease, Alzheimer's? Are there, what are, what's the downside to it? It sounds like it's a win-win. I know, but, uh, but you, ha- you have to remember, and your audience should remember, that this procedure was approved for very serious illnesses. When we talked to various clinicians in their initial opinion, Plasmapheresis is a highly invasive procedure that they even hesitate to uh, to prescribe to the patients who are sick. And now we are talking about relatively healthy young people who would like to do it to become healthy and young for, for longer, right? Um, so, um, so there are known side effects which are published, and there are also probably unknown side effects, which are not yet studied because the procedure was not broadly used in relatively healthy adults. The one thing that uh, that comes to mind is that we are either uh, filtering plasma away from cells, so there is some sort of um, filter or mesh which stops our blood cells, or cells are physically removed, go through the tubing and spun down and return back. So these procedures probably are damaging to blood cells. And that mm-hmm. damage probably accumulates after rounds of procedures. And that that's one thing that comes to mind. Another thing is that there is suggested side effect of activation of complement proteins. And complement are those little proteins which can assemble and form perforations in the blood vessels. They actually form perforations in pathogens. That's how they evolved. But um, if they are activated inappropriately, they can form perforations in our own cells of the blood vessels. So, right. um, so that is another kind of known, kind of not very, uh, not very good side effect of plasmapheresis. I have to ask: Have you tried the procedure on yourself? 
No, I did not try the procedure on myself, and neither did uh, my convoy. Uh, so, but we uh, we got we got some voluntary responses from people who did, who told us that they feel more energetic, and at the same time, they feel that you know they they feel calm, that some sort of balance has been achieved in their body, and their brain kind of reacts to that. So that was kind of, you know, just um, just a gossip, gossip line, mm-hmm. anecdotal do you, evidence. Do you see this as eventually becoming available widespread for people to go in and get this, or, or are there, there are practical limitations to it, do you think? Um, I don't know. I don't know how to characterize it. For me, it was just a scientific exploration, right? I never looked at it as, okay, this is the final. We discovered already how to become younger and healthier. In fact, when I look at it kind of from a rational point of view, I don't think that people will become younger simply by performing rounds of plasmapheresis, unfortunately. But that opens another door for us to understand why dilution of our plasma is so robustly and so quickly rejuvenated. What are we actually doing mechanistically or scientifically? And eventually, for me, the path is through developing pharmacology, developing agonist-antagonist approaches, which do what plasmapheresis told us we should be doing. Yeah, it's so, such... So I don't know. It's like, it may be not the most, you know... um optimistic evaluation i know that and i might be incorrect but this is just my opinion you mentioned dr duprov uh is does he do this work in his clinic uh now uh is it currently available in some form it's not only in his clinic what i have learned um that many clinics now throughout the country are offering this service and there are some anti-aging enthusiasts who are um doing it right who are paying for the service and who are performing plasmapheresis on themselves and because the the service is offered by certified physicians i guess i'm not very much concerned because they are not, they know what they're doing for example dobry kiprov was doing plasmapheresis for over 25 years so they know what they're doing but I think that more studies should be done on the outcomes of plasmapheresis before more people just jump on this wagon. You know, it's not really the same as doing Botox or <laughs> things which are cosmetic. Again, it is my opinion. I might be correct or incorrect. I have no training in medicine whatsoever. So my opinion is just that of a scientist. Oh, absolutely. We really appreciate your opinion. I want to be respectful of your time. And uh, perhaps uh, before we leave, you could tell uh, our audience uh, the best way that they can they can uh, reach your website or follow you on social media. Yes. So um, so we have laboratory website, Convoy Lab. You can easily see what we are doing. Feel free to send me an email. I am barraged by emails, but I'm trying to reply to, to everyone, uh, every email. And uh, and also, if you are in the Berkeley area, then send me an email and perhaps schedule a visit to the Convoy Lab. Excellent. Well, well, thank you, Irina, so much for taking an hour from your busy schedule to spend with us uh, today and talk about the fascinating work that, that you're doing in your lab. 
You are welcome. Thank you for highlighting our field of, of science. Bye-bye. This is for general information and educational purposes only, and it's not intended to constitute or substitute for medical advice or counseling. The practice of medicine or the provision of healthcare or diagnosis or treatment or the creation of a physician-patient or clinical relationship. The use of this information is at their own, uh, own user's risk. If you find this to be on the value, please hit that like button to subscribe to support the work that we do on this channel. And we take the, your suggestions and advice very seriously, so please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next time.